Well, thanks for joining everyone. We're going to get started here in just a couple minutes, but before we start, I thought I'd just give a few details about today's webinar. Um, today's webinar is going to be an interview style format, so not a lot of slides, but we're going to aim to have about a 45-minute conversation about culture between myself, I'm the Director of Products and Services here at Habanero, as well as Stephen Fitzgerald, the President of Habanero. And uh, we will be recording today's conversation, so if you have uh, an interest in sending it around or you want to listen it, into it again or you don't get to listen to the whole thing, if you sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of our website, habaneroconsulting.com, we'll make sure that we send you uh, details about when we post it. Um, we aren't going to have a Q&A at the end of this, but if you do have any questions that arise out of this, we'll put up our contact information in one of the slides and we'd be happy to answer any questions for you. Um, we're just gonna let a few more people arrive here and yeah, we'll get started in about a minute. Thanks everyone. So thanks for joining me today. Stephen. Happy to be here. About a conversation around corporate culture. Uh, I'm happy to have this conversation with you. It's an exciting topic for me, and I know it's an exciting topic for you. Uh, partially because, I mean, you're the president of uh, Habanero Consulting Group for the last 23 years. You co-founded the company. Uh, culture has been a big thing on your mind since you started the company, really, and, and certainly is part of the work that we do with clients. Um, so it's exciting to be able to get into your brain about this topic. Just speaking about it personally, I, I've been working with you for the last 18 years. It's been a great journey. And I know, you know for the last eight of those that we've decided to, to look for awards, we've been recognized as a great workplace in Canada. Yes, um, three, very exciting. Three times in, in the top position. Current, current reigning champion. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of this is about the attention that we've given to this concept of culture in our organization. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what this conversation is about. Uh, is there anything you think is really important for people to know that are listening about you in this conversation? Yeah, I guess I'm, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I'm, I think about it a lot. I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of people and culture. And, and in particular, you know, my, my life's work is all built around this idea that if we create great workplaces uh, with strong cultures, we can, it can really serve people uh, to help them have amazing careers and ultimately lead really fulfilling lives. So that's my life's work. Yeah, that's a pretty important journey. So let's start with a big, big question. I mean, as conversations about culture, I think it's been defined a billion times and by many different people in many different ways. Is there something we should be doing before to set up the conversation around this defining what culture is to make it clear when we say that word what what we mean yeah i think it's helpful i i, I always think of culture as 
uh, I like the kind of Edgar Schein-esque model where the, you know, you have the, if you picture the iceberg, the above the water level uh, aspects of your culture that everyone feels and sees, you know, how we talk to each other, how we dress, the, the, uh, the really obvious pits, and then you have the, the espoused parts of your culture, the, the written down values and the purpose and the strategies and the things that are, are said to be part of the culture and may or may not be felt in various ways. Uh, and and the, the rubber hits the road below the water level, the big part of the iceberg, and there's the, the behaviors and the beliefs um, that, that sit down there. And that, that's really kind of the operating system of the organization. That sets the grooves that we run in on every day, you know, when we're in a culture. Um, it, it allows our brain to take shortcuts and to know, you know, we can act in a certain way and expect a certain reaction back from people. And so that, that under the water level part of the culture, the behaviors and the beliefs, they're really what are the most important thing about the culture that guided. And, and it's important to know, I think, it's important to mention that uh, cultures get developed over, over a long period of time, the history of an organization. Um, they do change over time, but they change very slowly. And that's one of the strengths of cultures. You can come in every day and you, you, you're not showing up to something wildly different and you're having to figure out how to, how to react today you know, because it's Tuesday and it's a new week or something like that. Um, so culture being uh, slow-moving and being very um, not quite fixed but very hard to evolve in, a, in an organization or, or t- it takes a lot of force to, to move it. Um, that's one of its strengths, but it's also one of the things that confounds organizations that are trying to evolve and, and be more purposeful about their culture. Yeah, so I think maybe the iceberg is a good metaphor for that uh, slow moving because it's, yes, there's a bit above the top of the water, but most of it's underneath and it's quite big under there. And so it makes right. it visually. <laughs> Imagine helps. it's pretty hard to push an iceberg. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, maybe less and less lately, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> I uh, would love to get your thoughts on the idea of change around culture, though, because I think there are people out there that probably feel, um, yeah, we could change it, but it's really difficult, or or that culture actually is just immutable. You use the terms behaviors and beliefs. Can you say more about um, how those are important elements of, of changing culture? Yeah, I think there's, there's every opportunity to be very deliberate um, with culture and to to really understand the parts of your culture that contribute to the type of world you want to live in and the type of things you want to be successful for. So Habanero is a very purpose-driven organization. We have a very clear dent we want to make in the world. Um, So we need to spend a lot of time thinking about what aspects of our culture support that or what aspects might get in the way of that. Uh, And and, and we need to focus on, on, uh, you know, turning the volume up on the ones that support it and, and trying to shift the ones that get in the way of it. Culture isn't just something you're stuck with. I think a lot of organizations treat it that way. They, they're not deliberate about it. There's no sense of ownership. Uh, there's no sense of stewardship. There's no vision for where their culture should go. And there's a lot of conversation about the impact of culture indirectly. And, um, and there's a lot of uh, very... I would say lightweight conversation about the types of culture we have. You know, we're a work hard, play hard culture, or we're a, a get shit done culture, and, and those are those are fine ways to characterize things, but they rarely get to the truth of the culture, the, the parts of the culture that really matter, the subtle nuances, nuance aspects of behaviors and belief that that really make things happen or really get in the way of, of progress. And I think that's at the heart of of what people need to get to if they're thinking about changing their culture. So there's this 
unconsciousness around culture or a growing consciousness, perhaps, I do think thinking about why people might even be listening, I do think there's this interest of people wanting to figure out more about culture, like how to discern it, how to change it. And it's probably why they're listening. Uh, what do you see as the impetus right now in the world for why this is an important topic for organizations? I think you're right. Like there's more and more interest and, and keenness. And this, this, this is all fantastic. I, you know, if you step back and you think about what's happening in industry, you know, the U.S. Bureau of Statistics has been charting since I think 1972 or something like that. And the percentage of the of the economy that does uh, rote, simple, mechanical type tasks and the percentage of the economy where the people are doing uh, what they call heuristic tasks or tasks that are creative that decide, require decision making and, you know, using cr creative thought. And that's just not like visually creative, but just having to solve problems, basically. And so that the uh, economy has been steadily shifting for the last several decades or many decades uh, to being one where more, more and more people are having to do more creative things. And at the same time, so that, that creates this growing complexity. Um, and that's moving us from this complicated world to this complex world. And at the same time, those people who are doing more creative tasks are doing more things in teams. So just think of all the interactions, whereas you know, 50 years ago, when you had an assembly line and put people jamming, you know, brake assemblies on a car, it's a very mechanical task. That's a complicated world. You can get your head around managing that and, and leading in that. Now we have uh, teams of people who are all influencing each other and influencing other teams. And, the, and everyone on that team, the team itself, has to solve really difficult problems using a lot of creativity and trying to bring the big, big brain to, together to really uh, be successful. That's a totally different world. Mm -hmm. So we can't bring the same management and leadership ideas that that were helpful in, in the old world into this one. And so people are realizing that culture, um, it's not the, uh, the, the single answer to all that, but all these things, like the operating system analogy I used before, this is the system that all these people run on, these teams run on. And so uh, getting your, your hands around or understanding where the culture supports uh, higher performance and where, or where it gets in the way of that it's becoming more and more obvious that that's just a requirement to, to understand the cult, the role that your culture plays in that and, and be able to make an impact on that. Yeah, that makes sense. So it makes sense to me because I think of what I'm hearing in the market, of course, is some of the hot cultural topics are around being a more innovative culture, um, probably in response to that complexity that you're saying, or right. being more agile, so able right. to respond quickly to change, um, having organizations that... Um, have, yeah, have agility. Uh, and then, of course, to that collaboration thing, we're kind of seeing things like psychological safety come up more and more in conversations. So on, on that thread, then, do you feel there's actually kind of a nirvana culture model for organizations, like the, these cultural attributes or traits that are better than others? Yeah, that's a fascinating topic. You know, um, I think we've spent a lot of time thinking about you know, groups like responsive.org and, and a lot of these models that we aspire to. And uh, from my perspective, the, the first thing that's really important to keep in mind is that uh, culture develops through the successes that have happened in the organization. So if you take Habanero, for an example, you know, Neil Jensen and I started Habanero and, uh, you know, actually going back even 25 years ago when we started fooling around with this idea and where we had success, you know, we get up the next day and repeat that uh, success. And uh, because we knew it worked for us. We learned that the day before. And so in this simplistic model, uh, the, we got 
built habits around the successful parts of our business and we tried to eradicate the non-successful parts of our business. This is how teams grow. Um, and, but very quickly you find that the, the successful habits become rote to you. They become so subconscious. They, they go to the back of your mind and, and you apply your brain to the more vexing things that aren't really working. And so if you scale that up over lots of people, you know, over lots of time zones and offices and o over decades, you know, culture and the roots of it become you know, very much hidden, like way, way, way down below the water level. So there's this subconscious um, aspect of it, but also the roots of it are born in the success of the organization. So what I find a lot is that, for example, an, a direct example we have is an organization that wants to, wants to be more agile and wants to be faster moving. Um, that's really, that's nice at a high level, but there are a lot of things that gave that, that made that organization strong and successful that are, that are actually getting in the way of them being agile. And if they just move towards being an agile organization and however they define that and throw out all the things that made them successful, it's going to be at their peril. It, it will hurt the organization. But the opportunity is to, is to go down and get a higher fidelity understanding of what is it that about them being more deliberate and say slow moving that's actually keeping them strong that's still important to their survival today and what aspects of that what behaviors and what beliefs are actually getting in the way and we can say goodbye to those and change those so it, it takes getting down below the water level if you will and into those more detailed behaviors and beliefs to really pick out the good from the bad and really clearly understand with accuracy what you want to change so i find that a lot of organizational change um, comes down to sort of um, these high-level ideas and getting back to your original question, looping right back around, um, a lot of these ideals around uh, openness and transparency and honesty and uh, a growth mindset and all these things, purpose-oriented, those are all no doubt wonderful, amazing things and they're things that we aspire to in our organization. Um, but they aren't necessarily 100% inherently good in every organization in the, in the way we might think they are because every organization is so different and they're coming from such a different place and they define, they've built a patterns of success in different ways and they define their success in the future in different ways. So those are great ideas to bring into your organization and throw around and think about how they might apply, but they're not in and of themselves targets that everyone should shoot for in a, in a generic way. So I mean, maybe I'm gonna ask a question, I'll just reinforce exactly what you just said, but I was reflecting as we were preparing for this conversation about the, the book by uh, Marshall Goldsmith about um, what got you here won't get you there. And, uh, you know, I, I, the, even the title gives you a sense of what the book's about, of course. And uh, my curiosity would be, um, are, the, are there these organizational characteristics or traits which organizations need to shed, like get rid of? Um, and what I heard from you just now is actually it's, it's some of those organizational traits or things that made them successful. So it's more complex than that. But um, I, yeah, I am curious you know, uh, uh, how do you reconcile the idea of something that perhaps you feel like you need to shed? Or is that is that even what people are thinking about when they come to us around culture right now? Or are they more looking at uh, creating new cultural attributes that didn't exist before or, or, or refining uh, cultural attributes? There's a little bit of everything. Yeah, it is a mix. And actually, I want to go back to your Marshall Goldsmith analogy because it's, it's a really clever one. Um, so, so his book, which I, I'm sure is over 10 years old now, um, it's really this idea that as we go through life, the um, 
unconscious growth we have in sort of our young adolescence to build ego and to establish ourselves, we, we have to grow out of that and we have to learn um, to sort of get out of our own heads and gain objectivity on how we show up in the world. I mean, that's, that's a characterization of the book. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure how happy he'd be with that, but that's kind of one of the things <laughs> the I got out of it. Maybe we'll get a note from him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what a lot of this is about is, is we need to stop thinking about our, uh, you know, being, we're not victims of our culture. It's not something that's impossible to understand. It's not something that's possible to shift. Just like humans have to start being, growing their empathy for the people around them and growing their self-awareness and their understanding of self and how they show up in the world. Organizations go through a version of that too. And so if you aspire as an organization to go to that next level and create change and, uh, you know, heaven forbid, change your business model and, and uh, uh, square off against some of the immense competitive forces that exist in the world right now, you need to develop that self-awareness. You need to develop that same capability that, you know, allowed you to move from surviving in grade eight to becoming, you know, a, a sophisticated adult in your, well, I don't know, whenever you do that, in your, in your 30s somewhere. Um, and, and so... This idea that uh, um, uh, we have to really get some perspective on what made us successful before, and not create this kind of lore around it that that stops us from being to, from really having self awareness and the capability for for change. It's I think it's really important at an organizational level. So if we take that parallel, like let's take the person and their need to like have that the term used is self reflection. What are the what are the common methods of self reflection that an organization can turn to? Like I I think of I'm not answering for you, but I just think of um, specifically what I hear a lot is organizations leaning on or leveraging their employee surveys as a way to discern what's working, what's not working, and maybe even leaning on them to just test something. Like, are we innovative? Let's ask. Um, what is your thoughts on? that specifically using surveys, but also brought more broadly the tools that an organization should be considering for reflection. Yeah. So at a, at a broad level, what you're trying to get is an objective perspective at a more detailed, more accurate level about what's going on. Like, where are we right now? Where are people? What are people's experiences and how do they, how do they feel about their, their life in the organization? How does that impact how they show up? And I love the, the uh, David Gray idea of you know, the trick is to be be able to be on the dance floor and execute exquisitely on the dance floor, but also be in the balcony and, and see the big picture and, and things going on. Um, in that The way that shows up for us is organizations are, when you're part of the system, when you're a person in the system, it's very hard to have the perspective on the system. So one of the things we bring is the ability to be on the balcony, to be on the floor with that person, understand it at that level, but also be on the balcony because we have the objective, because we're from the outside of the organization. Um, and you you talked about uh, quantitative tools like surveys and things like that, and they're wonderful for getting you um, some directional guidance on where problems and opportunities are in the organization, but they really lack the the fine resolution that we've been talking about in this conversation so far. If you really want to make the nuanced changes in the organization, most surveys and survey tools don't are would struggle to get you to that level of resolution, and that's where that's where you generally move from the quantitative world back to the qualitative world. So in, a, in, our, in our way of seeing the world, we, there, our term for that, our fancy consulting term for that is empathetic research. And it's really the process of going into your organization um, 
and creating this these moments, whether with, with a small group of people or an individual in an interview, but creating these moments of high psychological safety and allowing that person to express, uh, tell stories, and share ideas about what their lived experiences are about. So the, the process of, of this is to go in, not necessarily with a hypothesis about what's what you want to change, but to go in with an open mind and discover opportunities and the problems, the, the experience highs and the experience lows in the organization by allowing people to, to sit in a position of their deepest level of expertise, which is their own experiences. You're not asking them to prognosticate about the future of the world or ideate about changing the company or come up with sophisticated ideas or critique other people. You're asking them to share their experiences and people are very, very good at sharing their experiences. Um, and it's the process of taking those those lived experiences, uh, um, pulling the themes out of there, and gaining a real understanding of where the organization is at, and uh, where the strong, really, really strong parts of your culture are, and where things are really experiences are really strong, and where you can amplify those, and where and and conversely where they're weak, and where they're where the how that shows up in friction, and how that holds people back, which gives you a lot of great insight into, into how to remedy those weak spots. So that's great. That makes a lot of sense to discerning culture and understanding it alongside perhaps tools like quantitative tools um, to to the challenge and opportunity in the organization. W- one curiosity for me would be, you know, I was reflecting on a, an article that said um, culture in earnings reports since, 19, since uh, 2010 has increased by 12% annually. So this idea of Culture's hot right now, mm-hmm. um, increasingly so. Um, and yet, when they pull HR leaders in their organizations, there's a general consensus um, that and feeling that they're not confident the culture that they have as an organization is the thing that's going to drive future business performance. Right. So there's a lot of anxiety out there around. Yeah. So a culture's really hot. B, it's we don't we may not have the culture we need. So you talked a lot about discerning what's there. How does an organization go a little bit beyond discernment and look at and understand what's the appropriate culture for them or what are the cultural attributes that are going to move them forward? Yeah, I like, you know, our, our process in, in general would take, we would start with more of an understanding of, of the business strategy and the changes that need to happen. So it, there's an aspiration somewhere that exists in in the organization, probably driven by the leaders that we need to get to this spot. And so that's really that's a really important piece of context. And the empathetic research part I talked to, that's sort of a really good picture of, you know, you are here. So now, now we have kind of two partial parts of the puzzle. We, we know where, where people are at right now. And we have this aspiration of where to go. And we can start to marry those ideas together and start to think about where we want to prioritize change. And one of the amazing and cool things about processes like this is it involves a lot of people in the organization who are also the people that are at the heart of the change. And so the minute you actually start empathetic research, the minute you start talking to people, things change is starting. Like their attitudes and beliefs and and their thinking is starting to change because of the conversation. Um, And you have this opportunity to take... uh, portions of those people you talk to or the you know people you are engaged in that process and get involved in in um, uh, co-creation get involved in in opportunities for um, you know once we have this baseline 
of understanding of people's lived experiences, and we have we have we have this clarity about where we want to go as an organization. We can marry those things together and prioritize areas to put focus into, and we can engage people in the process of of designing their own future. And so this is so different than the than what the traditional world of uh, um, understand a problem, do some analysis, design a solution, launch it, uh, train the users how to deal with the new system or software or, or cultural change, um, you know, and that, that's the kind of the old life cycle. Now you're engaging people in the diagnosis of, of where the problems and opportunities are. You're engaging them in the, in the design, build, and test cycle. You're iterating more quickly. You're, you're understanding where the ideas work and where they don't work. It's not a monolithic thing. There's not the idea of, you know, change management in the old world was like, create some posters and, and uh, do some training classes. Whereas now, uh, bringing people along the change journey is a completely different thing. They're, they're partners in it. They're not, they're not sort of victims or, or customers in it. They're, they're actually part of the process. And so the, this idea um, of how you engage people and bring them along the journey is really fundamental to this whole idea. And that's specific to the processes that we use at Having Arrow Run Culture, because there are... There are other ways that organizations or other tools, other techniques people turn to you in order to look at reorienting their culture, like leadership development. Sure. Yes. What, are, what are your thoughts on the other options people have around the market around that? Yeah, the truth is there's there's a lot of things you can do to affect your culture, good and bad, positive and negative, meaningfully, like in a way you want to or in, a, in, a, in an undeliberate way. Um, is undeliberate a word? I don't think <laughs> it is. On uh, <laughs> an unintentional way, I'll say that. Um, and And... And the truth is a lot of them actually, if you're thoughtful and put some smart people on it, they, they make a positive impact. So I, I, I really feel these, these things are, are you, it's better to think about them as multilateral efforts. So sometimes, you know, leadership development is really critical. And sometimes there are organizational design components that have to go with it, or there's deep system redesign, or there's, um, you know, there is some training and development at a, at a, at a employee level that has to happen. And those are all helpful things. Um, the, the trick is knowing that they're, you're aiming at something very specific. And to, to really try and avoid the temptation of um, slapping in programs because they worked at Google or because they, they feel right, but it hasn't really been tested in your organization to, to be a, really, a real contributor to the future you want to create. Right. I, I mean, it, it's funny that you say that because I think just like we went through about 15 years of everyone comparing things to Apple uh, and how they did things. I think uh, organizations like Google with things like psychological safety and the way they do teams and just st the structures of these organizations, there's a few of those companies out there that do kind of seem to be hot topic companies that everyone wants to copy and replicate something. So yeah. you're saying that's, that's not an ideal approach. Yeah. I mean, they're admirable. And, and I was thinking it would be cool if we, created a, a piece about culture that didn't word, involve the word Google, but I guess we haven't. There it may <laughs> so it's come up a few times in this conversation already. Um, um, but I think those ideas from organizations like that should be inspiration. They shouldn't be uh, a map for you to follow. Uh, every organization, every culture is so incredibly unique that the idea that, you know, um, a feedback system in a, in a culture like Google's would apply in your organization that's that's very dangerous thinking in my mind. Um, particularly in that example, I would say there's a lot of horror stories. 
Um, if we were writing the next Marshall Goldsmith book, it might be what worked for them might not work for you. Maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably won't work for you. Yeah. And, and um, it's, that's not to say that those aren't admirable things. It's not to say that those organizations aren't uh, great fountains of, of learning and insight. Um, but you can't just take what they did and, uh, you know, change it a bit for your organization, expect it to have the impact that you want it to have. Yeah. And when you say it like that, it seems so obvious. So I'd like to turn just a tiny bit because it's a curiosity for me and I, I don't know where this fits. I think of everything you've described makes sense. I've seen it obviously happen within our organization quite a few times. Um, what is your thoughts on subcultures and, and the sort of scale of uh, cultural insight that large organizations are trying to discern? Is, it, is there anything different that organizations would do to try and scale those insights or look for uh, elements of cultural uniqueness that might exist in certain departments and certain business units or certain countries? Um, or is, is that even a thing? Yeah, what an interesting question. I'm, I'm uh, launching into my answer, not really knowing where I'm going to go. I, for sure, organizations, uh, teams, different groups, geographies, they all have their their uniqueness, and and particularly when humans are together, physically together, and they they can you know they can really share in this rich experience of uh, working together, being successful together. That will necessarily build cultural elements that are unique to that that group, and that's awesome. Um, we, you know, a, a successful large organization is not a, it's not a melting pot of culture. It's a mosaic of culture, um, to throw a little national analog into it. Um, so celebrating that and understanding that I think is a really powerful thing. Uh, and differentiating those variances, that differences, the richness of that from the elements of the culture that need to be consistent, uh, is, is absolutely critical. And so at a really simplistic level, we have these shared ambition ideas like purpose or values or the vision where we're going to and the place we're going to. And these ideas are, you know, those are the clear uh, espoused part of the culture that hopefully actually also cut below the water level and, and are part of people's beliefs and behavior system. Um, but there are opportunities to understand what other elements exist in your culture that are that pervasive, uh, that maybe aren't conscious or espoused, uh, and, may, and maybe not even helpful. So there are elements of culture that will run through the entire organization, no matter how large it is. Um, and engineering or understanding what those are and engineering them to be the ones that are helpful, uh, I think is, is part of the game that we're talking about. But also recognizing and reflecting and celebrating the fact that there's quite a, there's necessarily quite a bit of diversity in a large um, distributed, particularly distributed organization, you know, over lots of time zones, multiple languages. Um, so getting really clear about what needs to be consistent in that and what should be similar but doesn't have to be consistent and what's allowed, what can be, you know, totally different and be totally fine. That's a very important aspect of cultural design in my mind. So there's an aspect of your answer that is that breadth, making sure that you have the right breadth for the organization, and like especially what you said, in relationship to what you th you think you're trying to change or trying to discern. Yeah, and I I my experience of this in large organizations is the more they get their hands around the diversity and the breadth of of uh, 
cultural groups within the organization, the, the more they realize there's a lot of power in that. And it's sort of like realizing you've got a bunch of really strong teammates that you hadn't really noticed in the past, or you've got some real strengths that you've never, um, you've never leaned on because you didn't realize they were there. I find that's the experience of getting clearer at a, at a bigger scale about, about the diversity in our organization. There's a, there's a real opportunity in it, in my mind. So we've kind of covered the elements of the first part of the process. And you've talked about uh, the first thing that we do being sitting with the organization, understanding their business drivers, starting to understand the ideas that they're considering that um, are about supporting their next wave of growth or their next wave of, of goals. And then doing the work to go into the organization with that empathetic listening and discerning what is, uh, finding ways to define and, and view the iceberg, if you will, underneath mm-hmm. the water. What are you, What is your view on the, the thing that happens once organizations have that sense of what the organization is, that, that they've defined or had some more discernment about the iceberg, and then they have a, a clear sense of the direction that they're trying to head into? What's the ne- next leg of that journey look like for them? Yeah, it's it's really defined by the types of changes they want to create. And often when you get in and you do the work to understand what people's experiences are, you 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 pretty quickly start to surface where the gaps are or I guess the opportunities. So sometimes we find that organizations need to work on purpose. It's not there's not there's not enough emotional resonance in, in the why of the organization in people's hearts, and that's a huge opportunity. And it's it's really interesting actually finding that in uh, like not-for-profits in healthcare, when people, your people, your customers are walking in the door and you're you're saving their lives every day, and and there's still a a, a gap around purpose in an organization like that. It just shows that perp- you can't ever take purpose for granted. It, it's so powerful and it's so, not to be assumed based on your industry or yeah. the thing that you're delivering. It's yeah. something that actually in, nurtured. Yeah, in this one example, they're, they're they're literally saving people's lives every day, all day. Uh, and they, there's still a massive opportunity then for them to put ener- time and energy into purpose to get clear about it. It could be on values. It could be on various elements of the employee experience or tools or systems um, or organizational design. Those, could, those are all interventions that you could choose to take um, to uh, um, realize the opportunities that you found in, in the research part, in the research and design part. So you're designing the future, and that's where you're really getting clear about the opportunities. We tend to... Think about things, we, we use the term roadmap, which is our, our it's a terrible term, because the, the idea of a roadmap in my mind is the sequential number of steps to get from A to B. But really it's a, it's a more of a catalog of capabilities that the organization needs to apply themselves. And there's some sense of prioritization and sequencing in it, but it's definitely not a, a job jar that you pull from sequentially. Uh, and so the, when you can visualize your change in this way and understand we'd like to really create these uh, these large kind of visual versions of these roadmaps where we're mapping in the evolution of the employee experience through kind of through the empathetic lens so what are people thinking hearing saying doing if we're successful at this you know what are they saying if we're not successful what are they saying now uh, to really keep people moored on the idea that through this journey what we're trying to affect is the employee experience we're changing our culture by changing experiences people have within the culture. Um, and that keeps people really grounded on what, what matters in, in the change that we're working on. 
Yeah, roadmap isn't the right word for that. We'll have to come up with something else because I imagine, uh, I, I, I know what they look like, of course, because I've seen many of them. And uh, there's, there, there is something that is, yes, there's these things that we want to do with the organization that are going to have impact that are broken down into phases. But then there's this messiness that exists, which is when it gets up on a wall and it's really big and you start marking it with a marker mm-hmm. and realizing like second you start the rest of the journeys already changing. Right. And so, yeah, the word roadmap makes it yeah. seem like there's this nice clear path to something, yes. uh, but it's not always. It's yeah. Not. It's a great, I mean, and it's all, it's all about trying to create some clarity and, and sure footedness moving forward. Um, but not at the risk of oversimplifying this kind of complex nuanced journey to say that we know exactly what's going to happen in the next two years. Just keep rolling through these steps because we really need to, take a step forward, learn, adapt, and then think about our next step. We de- This is sort of these agile or lean principles coming to life, and you may not want to call it those things, but um, this this realm of evolving and changing culture requires us to operate in that way. We don't have to call them sprints. We don't have to do them in two-week intervals, but we need to, make sh- we need to lift our head up quite frequently to look at um, the changes we're creating, to test that, to measure that, and to put that back into our idea of w- what our current place is and where our future is, and recalibrate. So that recalibration needs to happen on a pretty consistent basis. And this is an, exactly an example of going slow to go fast. If you are good at that, if you're good at taking the time to be thoughtful as you go through, you will make much faster progress than if you just charge ahead and blast away at you know your next five initiatives. It reminds me, I went cave diving one time and at the bottom of the caves you put a headlamp on and when you look down everything's really bright the ground you can kind of fill out your next five or six steps but when you look up it's a bit fuzzy in the distance and so you kind of have to play this game of looking out far to kind of get the big sense of where you're going but also looking down to really understand your next few mm-hmm. steps yeah so yeah reminds me i'm glad that. you i'm glad you made it out of the cave eventually it's <laughs> quite fun actually um so we've covered this idea of like what is culture or why, why organizations are perhaps looking at it right now. The idea of uh, there isn't one right culture for anyone and, and, and uh, perhaps put a bitter pill in people's mouths around trying to copy someone else's culture. Uh, we talked about this um, distinction of discernment and looking underneath the water and trying to figure out what that big hunk of ice looks like and, and then using that alongside the organizational goals or the objectives and the instincts around where people, what, what needs to show up in an organization as a way of um, plotting the path forward and then using something like a roadmap or whatever we'll end up calling it eventually mm-hmm. as a mechanism to um, create some momentum and uh, hopefully be iterative about those next steps. Is that kind of cover? Like it seems like an maybe oversimplification of this world of um, cultural change. Uh, is there something else that would be really important to to note in that journey. Yeah, so one of the most exciting opportunities in doing this kind of work with organizations is, yes, we're creating a change in the culture. We're doing, we might be doing some broader things or we might be doing some specific things. You mentioned topics like trust and things like that. We might be working focused on those areas. Um, But what we're doing Along that journey is we're teaching them, that organization, to be more humanistic and to develop skills and capabilities to um, cre- create that self-awareness. You know, going back to the analogy of growing up, you know, 
we're helping that organization become more self-aware and have more self-control um, and an understanding of where who they are and where they fit in the world. And that is the the most exciting part when you when we've worked with an organization for a while and you, you go back in and the, the way they see themselves, the tools they use to gain objectivity, tools they use to, um, to uh, like things like employee experience design and those tools and how they're able to use them to just be so much more sure-footed in their, in their journey forward and so much clear and clearer and there's so much less of, uh, you know, just breathing their own air and, and believing their own stories. Um, uh, and so much more healthy reflection. That is so exciting to me. Like that's the real gift in all this is going through this process, you almost can't help build the capabilities to do more of it in the future yourself. And we always think about this, we always, it's very meta. We're experiencing, we're in an experience design project around culture and employee experience design project, but we're also experience designing the experience of the of the project itself or the work itself, because we know that's how organizations learn the best and when they and it's even more powerful when this these first projects are really successful and everyone looks to that and there's a lot of energy around it and they're like oh what are those techniques how can we use that over here what you know how can we get some more um, experience design thinking in this part of our business and you know you find really quickly they're they're being really ingenious about thinking about different ways to bring these ideas to life in their own organization it really catches catches on that's so exciting. So putting myself into the shoes, ears, place of someone that might be listening to this, obviously they're interested in their own corporate culture at some level, trying to figure out something about their culture. Maybe it's about what, how to discern it. Maybe it's about um, something that they feel should change. What's, what's a like Sage little, you know, putting you on the spot here, a piece of advice for something that they could do next to move that along? Yeah, in, that's interesting. I mean, first of all, give yourself a pat on the back because more often than not, we are brought in not to make a cultural change, but to help make, I would say, a system change. And the system change is, you know, we're we're having we're having problems with safety outcomes with field workers, or we are having problems um, with people engaging productively with their with their with their managers uh, and there's a low level of trust or 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 there's a lot of or, or we want to implement this um, collaboration system to help people connect and share because we think it will help innovation so we're brought in on we're brought in initially to look at these system changes in a way right um, and and what organizations are really good at is thinking about thinking their way through you know, using their high intellect and IQ and experience to think through the system change. They're just not necessarily very good at bringing in the human element. And if they do, they say, we need to bring the change manager in so we can, you know, being facetious, so we can make some posters and do some training after we've done our system change. Um, those poor change managers. <laughs> Thankless role. Um, so if you're listening to this and you've already cottoned on to the idea that you have a cultural change in front of you, let me tell you that you're ahead of the pack already because you're thinking about cultural change and I think that's awesome. Um, so first of all, pat yourself on the back. Second of all, um, it's really about finding your way outside of the system, outside of your own worldview of what's going on and trying to gain some objectivity on the reality of your culture and getting to that, trying to drill down to the 
um, understanding of what is what are the absolutely critical, helpful behaviors and beliefs that drive us to be successful, and what are the ones that are getting in our way, and why. And so that that's a tough journey, and I and I would argue you'll do better with some external help because they're automatically more objective. Um, but I think really that's the, the first step in the journey is to really understand where you are right now. Uh, and it's easy and fine and fun to think about the future, uh, but you, you're you really sort of wasting your time getting too caught up in that world until you figure out what your current world is. Stephen, that's a great way to close. I think that that's a sort of inspired next steps for people and uh, I love the pat on the back idea. <laughs> it's, uh, it is true, I think, uh, despite how popular this term is and the increase in number of times this is mentioned in earning calls, I think especially people like senior leaders in organizations still aren't able to understand or discern problems in their culture. Right. Or even appreciate that culture's issue or the opportunity or how it shows up. Yeah. There's usually a proxy for it uh, right. in organizations yep. that they've leaned on. Yep. So thanks so much for joining me for the conversation, Stephen. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you. Uh, that's the end of our webinar today. We have been recording this. So if you want to listen in, we'll be posting it on habaneroconsulting.com as well as uh, hopefully turning it into a podcast. And you can uh, hear about those through our newsletter on habaneroconsulting.com. If you go to the bottom of our website, you'll be able to sign up for the newsletter there. If you do have any questions, we have our contact information here. And we really thank you for listening in. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did and have a great day.